Hi, this is our podcast today. This is Jim Ketting. I have Chris Wright with me, a cybersecurity guru. And uh, as I was talking with Chris, I said, I don't think you have a relevant job anymore because I just saw a commercial for PCmatic and, and I don't know if we need you anymore, you know, because uh, PCmatic pretty much takes care of everything. Is that true, Scott? Or is that true, uh, Chris? Do we have uh, PCmatic taking care of everything? Oh, absolutely. I'm considering closing my business up just because of that. Uh, you know, it pretty much solves all problems out there. It's the magic bullet and snake oil and whatever else you need for that. So we really don't need any more cybersecurity uh, experts anymore in the military or the NSA or, you know, with any corporations because we've got, you know, systematics and uh or what is it semantic and pcmatic and and all those things right yeah if only um (laughs) unfortunately security is a lot more broad than that before i get into your um background and how you got into this tell me a little bit about uh for listeners out there what is cyber security Cybersecurity, the definition varies depending on who you talk to about it. Some people think of it as just a technical, uh, technical discipline. Uh, But when I uh, when I think about it, I like to think of it more as the whole broad spectrum of risk, just as it uh, is related to your information and your IT, your other systems in in a business and an organization personally. So I think of it a lot, a lot more broadly than a lot of people do. Okay. Well, you got your start, and I want you to tell us a little bit about your resume, but you got your start in the Air Force, and I guess you worked there for over 10 years yes. in the cybersecurity, cyber warfare type uh, area. Is that correct? Yes. Um, I started in uh, cybersecurity in the Air Force about, I guess, four years uh, into my uh, 12-year stint in the Air Force. Um, I got thrown into it um, because I had all the good security clearances mm-hmm. uh, and I needed to get moved into another job. So they threw me into it. And it's kind of the first part, uh, the first job that I jumped into that I kind of got stuck in. I, I enjoyed it. And it was something that you know I found I was relatively good at. Um, so I just took it and ran with it from there. So what year did you start uh, on the cybersecurity? When was that? What, give us a... 2004. 2004. So we hadn't even had the iPhone come out yet. Nope. Yeah, this is all all uh, um, pre a lot of the connected technology, the Web 2.0, uh, a lot of the Facebooks, the, the Googles were uh, pretty new at that point. So it was, you know, almost like it was generations ago when you're looking at the internet and how we use it. Yeah, I was thinking back then, uh, you know, my... Uh my security back at that time was uh, get all the kids a Mac, you know, so I didn't have to deal with uh, all the viruses that they were downloading. That was that's what I was doing because um, uh, we didn't have PCmatic back then. So. <laughs> uh, but you primarily in the military, what was your focus? I mean, were you looking at uh, how big was cybersecurity back then in two thousand four when you started, and how much more important? did it become when you finished up there? So when I started, it was not really its own separate discipline. The, the, the waves of change were starting to come in. Uh, but back then, it was, it was called network warfare, uh, and it was divided between network defense and network attack. Uh, the network defense stuff is what I've gravitated to, being you know how do you protect networks and how do you keep the bad guys out or uh, that, the, those sort of things. But the network attack was really what you hear about with the NSA and going on the offensive against 
uh, other countries, our adversaries that we happen to be, uh, you know, in conflict with at the time. Um, but really the whole program was tied into uh, what was called information operations. So a lot of psychological operations, deception, uh, public relations type warfare, and just setting the stage for uh, how other people see us and uh, trying to you know, confuse the enemy through things like deception and psychological operations. So it was uh, a subpart to a, a greater program and it didn't really have the stature that it does now. But uh, since then, it's grown like wildfire. Um, I got into uh, information warfare, cybersecurity, when I was uh, in Germany. And uh, about a year after I got into it, I moved to San Antonio, Texas, which is really the, uh, the hometown of cybersecurity in the Air Force. If you want to uh, have a job in the Air Force and do cybersecurity, nine times out of ten, you're going to be in San Antonio. And uh, just looking back there now, um, there's probably 10 to 15 times uh, the number of people in the organizations uh, structured to support cybersecurity as when I was there just uh, 10, 11 years ago. Yeah, we um, had a hackathon here at the Venture Center a yes, while back, did. and uh, I was extremely impressed with some of the uh, Air Force guys that came mm-hmm. in and, and how they helped some of the students and some of the smaller teams out. I mean, those guys were brilliant when it came to uh, cybersecurity. I was just blown away. I mean, did you, was it cool working with all these oh. top brains? And Yes, yeah, there's, um, there's a great schoolhouse here. Uh, in the Arkansas Air National Guard, uh, and they bring in students from uh, different units around the country in a a very tailored uh, training program for them. And through this, you get a lot of uh, great minds that, you know, they happen to be in the Guard, but they also work in civilian jobs elsewhere. And so for both of the, uh, the hackathons that I participated in as a game master, uh, we had a, a, a pretty broad representation from the Air Force, and I do like to see them solving the puzzles and then stepping out and helping the other teams because a big part of that hackathon is the community and the camaraderie uh, yeah. that's fostered in the in the events. Yeah, how did you get involved with the uh, uh, your next step after your military stint? What did you go on to next? I mean, when the, you got into the corporate environment, who did you work with and... Um, I didn't take quite the plunge out into the corporate environment when mm-hmm. I got out of the military. Um, I moved from active duty Air Force to a company called the MITRE Corporation, which okay. is a federally funded research and development center. Uh, big big lot of words there, um, but basically it means that it's a company that's a not-for-profit that's chartered to support the federal government. Okay, uh, It's a way that the federal government can get access to um, smart engineering people without having to hire them internally and pay them the typical low government pay. Uh, So I got into that, and uh, one of the big reasons I took that job is when I was in the military as an officer, I kept getting elevated further and further away from being able to be hands-on and actually doing the work. Right, right. And that job afforded me the opportunity to do pen testing and vulnerability assessment uh, and things like that and really be hands-on, hands on the keyboard, doing the hacking stuff, working with the different uh, people that worked at government agencies to help them understand what these vulnerabilities were, find custom ways that worked within their organization to reduce the risk or uh, completely remove the risk uh, in some cases. Um, but it was a lot more hands-on, and it gave me just a, a wonderful opportunity to, to, to get a lot better uh, and, and really support what I do today. 
Yeah, and so after that, then what did you uh, what did you do? Uh, from there, I moved back here to Arkansas and took a job with FIS, uh, okay. where I managed their global vulnerability management program. Okay. I had a team of you know anywhere from eight to twelve, depending on what time you came and visited. Uh, we were responsible for doing all of the vulnerability scanning uh, from from outside and internally to the company, uh, tracking all of those vulnerabilities from discovery to remediation, working with uh, the the line of business uh, executives, system administrators to find solutions. Uh, to 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 look at how they worked within the different lines of businesses. As you as you know, there's a, a vast array of different types of mm-hmm. lines of businesses within FIS. So sometimes we'd have to work uh, on different solutions for different people. But uh, my my group really maintained the knowledge base of what the vulnerabilities were, what they meant, what the risk was, and tried to help people fix them within the company. Yeah. Now FIS is one of the largest. I think it is the largest the fintech largest. company. In the world, I, over what sixty percent of all banking and financial institutions use some form of their yep, software. Sounds about right. And so you were one of the head cyber guys for for them over there. So in the banking industry, what did you find that some of the biggest threats were as far as cyber security in that industry? Ooh. Now you're asking me questions. I don't know if I want to disclose this kind of stuff. <laughs> well, you know, we, we, your job's going away because of PCmatic. Absolutely. So, we we so we're we're all secure then. Yeah. We don't have to worry about it. Um, for for FIS, there's um, there's uh, and and what I've learned since uh, stepping out and doing my own business is that there's the the big line is really between uh, organization size uh, and. The, your FISs have a lot of the same types of vulnerabilities and same types of threats uh, against them as the U.S. government. You'll have a lot of people looking for financial gain. Uh, you'll have a lot of people looking for uh, espionage, um, which is a big one that, that overlaps with the uh, federal government. You know, it might not be state-sponsored corporate espionage, but you know, it's uh, or state-sponsored espionage. It could be corporate espionage or uh, just someone trying to find out. Um, you know, what the tricks are and how they do things. Um, but really my role was a little bit more on the vulnerability side and looking what those vulnerabilities are. And in general, a large business uses a lot of the same kind of technology, so we'd see a lot of those same kind of vulnerabilities that every other business would see out there, flaws in web applications, uh, systems that are, uh, you know, exposed to the Internet that might not, should be exposed to the Internet, um, denial of service, uh, people with, uh, like, um, extorting money out of the company to not uh, flood the network with uh, with with traffic to prevent people from getting to the company. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just kind of your run of mill everything. Uh, it's there. We'd even have um, social engineering people trying to fish. Uh, spear yeah, fish tell me, tell me more about that social engineering. You hear that buzzword quite a bit when you're talking about cybersecurity. What the heck is social engineering? <laughs> it's a very loaded term. Mm-hmm. Um, in the purest of definitions, it really means any kind of attack that's acting against the user. So if I try to convince you to do something against the best interest of your company or, or an organization that you're a part of, uh, that's uh, really the purest definition of social engineering. Um, we talk about it in different ways, things like phishing and ransomware. You know, they do have some technical aspects to them, but generally the primary attack is against the end user. So it's more of a psychological thing than it is a technical thing. Okay, so um, 
Fishing is another one, and it's not F I S H I N G. G. It's uh, what is it? P H P H I S H I N G. Okay. And and what's phishing? So phishing is uh, generally uh, executed through email, okay. and you'll receive an email that uh, will usually play on some kind of uh, like psychological, uh, you know, emotional fear or something like that. Okay. Uh, it's trying to, through some sense of urgency or fear uh, or authoritarian, authoritarianism, uh, to get you to do something. So uh, say you get an email and it purports to be from Bank of America and says, hey, we've detected some fraud and we're going to close your account. Uh-huh. Well, that makes you afraid because that account is what you depend on to pay your mortgage, to buy your lunch, and all that sort of thing. So you frantically scramble to try to uh, to try to undo what they've you know pretended that they're doing in the name of Bank of America, uh, but in reality it's just someone you know spoofing you, trying to get you to go and log into your Bank of America account through their uh, faux portal uh-huh. and cough up your credentials. Okay, got it. And so what um, you know, one of the vulnerabilities you know in in financial you know we're always hearing about that identity theft or people stealing things in financial, but, you know, a lot of these smart guys, and even in the movies, you know, these guys will hack in and steal $10 million from this company or that company. Is it is it like the movies, or how is it different than, than the movies? You know, the guys hacking in and stealing money from banks and corporations and stuff. Yeah, I love those movies too, but they're a little outdated. A little outdated. A little outdated. Um, yeah, any, any more... Um, people still think that, and they still the the whole perception of the hooded hooded hacker in a dark room kind of thing mm-hmm. it just pervades, and we even use it as a joke. Uh, or the uh, the ski mask hacker. You yeah, know, there's a running joke in in security circles. You know, do you prefer to wear a balaclava or a ski mask when you hack? <laughs> and then people will just take that and run with it. Oh, I like the full face hole because it gives me you know more breathing room or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, but realistically, uh, against it really depends on who the who the target is. Okay. Um, against uh, some bigger businesses, if you have a more sophisticated target, then they can employ more sophisticated means. But realistically, those hackers are are, are they're going to be like electricity. They're going to be looking for the shortest path, the easiest way. Okay. Uh, so if they can use this the most mundane, you know, kind of stupid phishing attack, a phishing attack to get in then they're going to use that instead of some super sophisticated attack that requires um, just precision timing and weeks or months to set up. Right, so, right. Uh, usually if, if, if you're looking at these attacks, there's some point in there where it's just kind of a face slap. That was stupid. We should have fixed that. Well, in the industry, you know, one of the things that I find is, is when you talk to an IT department, it doesn't matter if they're big, small, government, banking, whatever, and you ask them if they're secure... You know, a lot of them will say, oh, yeah, man, we, we are so secure. We're, we've got all this. We have <laughs> it down to a science. And, and I had a conversation with uh, Frank Abagnale of uh, mm-hmm. Catch Me If You Can. And he said um, when he confronts and sees people like that, one of the things that he'll do is he'll go to the parking lot of the big company. And he has a Ziploc bag full of thumb drives. And on each one of the thumb drives, he writes, personal and confidential and he sprinkles them all around the parking lots, and uh, sure enough, people come in and plug those into their computer, 
And uh, what pops up on that is this is a test and you failed mm -hmm. uh, on the cybersecurity. But that was some of the things that uh, a lot of hubris in the industry, you know, that I found that, that uh, people think, ah, we're good and we're untouchable. Do you find that a lot? Almost every time. So many people don't understand the breadth of the, 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 the risk and the threats that are out there. Mm -hmm. uh, they think about it in more just the technological, you know, the purely somebody's going to come in through my firewall. You know, the, the hoodied hacker sitting in a dark room uh, hacking in to steal $10 million over a green screen terminal. That's really what they think about. They don't consider a lot of these other things. Well, um, and, and the... the uh, disbursement of USB drives is a is a common um, uh, storied um, attack that's out there. You know, we saw that in the in the Department of Defense uh, in the past too. There's a uh, a couple of those that are that are fairly prominent. Um, one other area that I like to look at is go look for the uh, go look for the smoke areas where employees will uh, you look for the smoke the the cigarette bin. Mm -hmm. And then you go find the closest door, and it's probably open. It's probably propped open by a rock. And you can just walk in, <laughs> walk into the facility, mm -hmm. and, you know, if you act like you're supposed to be there, most people will think you're supposed to be there and just kind of ignore you. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, on vulnerabilities for small business owners, you know, especially startups who are starting their new company, they've got... Uh, programmers that they're hiring, you know, a lot of them will do overseas. A lot of them knows a guy who's, a, you know, a <laughs> guru or whatever. Um, a lot of times uh, I find with a lot of startups and a lot of people who are, have spent under a million dollars in, in developing their technology, they are, um, they don't really got an understanding for how at risk they are with some mm -hmm. of their vulnerabilities. Can you talk a little bit about that and, you know, what you're finding in some of these smaller entities and some of the risks that uh, they have and why they would need to, you know, have a person like you come in and vet them? Sure. The, uh, if, if you're talking about uh, a software development type company, uh, there's a, a lot of guidelines out there for how to develop software securely. But, you know, even in the largest organizations, there really needs to be some sort of internal mechanism to make sure that those coding guidelines and secure uh, coding practices uh, are put into place. Uh, and a lot of these smaller place, smaller companies, when they develop these things, they're just trying to get that um, MVP out there. So they're trying to put the, put the code together to demonstrate that they can do what they say they can do. And then once you start that foundation, and if you don't build that foundation correctly, it becomes harder and harder later down the road as you try to integrate security in something that you've already built. You've got processes and software that works together in a certain way. Some software may, may take advantage of some of those vulnerabilities to do what it's supposed to do. Well, but an, you know, an attacker can also take advantage of those uh, vulnerabilities too. So. Uh, really, the most important time for any uh, small business to, to start thinking about security is at the beginning of when they start to plan out their either their infrastructure or their software framework or you know the beginning of the code when they're hiring those uh, programmers so that you set those standards uh, in place because you know beyond that it becomes you know difficult, cost prohibitive, in some cases even impossible to go back and cook that back into. The software or the infrastructure down the road. 
Yeah, so do you find a lot of people who find this out after the fact have to go in and, you know, rewrite the whole thing and mm-hmm. yeah, that's, reprocess it? Yeah, and, that's, uh, that's the case in a lot of them. Uh, I did a, 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 a web application penetration test for a government uh, agency, a contractor for a government agency, and we found uh, SQL injections in there, which is pretty much the number one web application flaw there is. It's a way to use the web application uh, to, uh, or some, I guess, how the web application is designed to use the application itself to just suck all the data out of the database, you know, whether you should have, whether you should have access to that or not. Um, But it's a a fairly prominent flaw in there. And we found that uh, this place had um, several of their uh, parts, their modules in the web application were susceptible to this. And uh, we reported it back to them and said, hey, it should be no big deal. Just go, you know, fix that one piece of code, uh, that one function that takes the input from, from everybody. And they said, that's not one function. It's hard-coded all across the application. Oh, wow. So something that we thought uh, as web testers should have taken about five minutes to fix ended up taking months for them to fix it. Because they, they didn't structure it right. Yep. They, they just yep. you know cut and paste and copied it through the whole thing, yep. and that, that was how they did it. Yeah, that was kind of that was probably the poorest um, coding practices I had seen. Uh, just because generally people know to do object oriented and you know write the code once, refer to it many times. Uh, but in this case, they were I guess in a hurry to create it or something, and you know we reported it back kind of jovially thinking it's not going to be that big of a deal to fix and you could just see their faces fall because they knew that was going to be a major chore yeah yeah that's, that's one of the things you know when i started uh, when i when i first got paid to write my first software i was 18 years old and it was 1985 <laughs> and uh, you know the the things that you could do and even at that time you know how you could mess with code and and uh, have security breaches and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. It just it's gotten more sophisticated. It's got a little more more dangerous, and it's it's more than just ones and zeros. As uh, yes, you know, as we look at that now, is there any one of the things that I'm kind of fascinated with? You, you use the term SQL, which is a, is a Microsoft concept, or is that a Microsoft or is uh, a, SQL structured query language? It's okay. more than Microsoft. Microsoft has the SQL Server, SQL Server product that okay. uh, that implements that um, that uh, framework structure for a database. Okay, uh, but it's a lot more pervasive than that. So, is there anything that uh, you know, any type of software? You know, we've got all these different languages and everything else. You know, you can hear about. PHP and C Sharp and Node.js and, you know, SQL and NoSQL and all these different terminologies that you have. Is there anything out there right now that is, uh, oh, I guess, less vulnerable to build things in? or Not really well known in the, in the industry. Uh, it really depends on what you're doing and how you're using uh, the language, how you're using the tools that go along with it, how you're building software. Uh, a lot of the, uh, the development environments, the IDEs, integrated development environments like uh, Visual Studio and um, you know, really Visual Studio for the C-sharp side and some mm-hmm. of the other ones uh, for um, some of the more uh, Unix and Linux lang- related languages, uh, they will have uh, tools and, and scanners built into them 
to help you develop the code. They've got practices, you know, ways to, to do that kind of uh, more secure programming in there. Uh, the, the people that maintain the languages uh, are aware of the, a lot of these flaws and they'll change, you know, as new versions of the languages come out. Uh, languages aren't static, you know, there's versions of these things. We talk about um, C++ 17, um, Python 3.7. So there's new versions of the, the language structure that comes out. Uh, and with each of these, they'll code more secure alternatives or more secure versions of the different commands that are in there. Uh, so it's kind of, it's a little bit more holistic in the whole environment, the ecosystem that you're using. But I don't think really there's one that stands out and shines as more secure than the rest of them, at least mainstream anyway. Is there something that shines as far as really vulnerable? Stay away from that? Um, older languages, stuff, okay. that's, uh, stuff that's outdated. Um, we look at, um, I mean, there's kind of the, the industry uh, always jokes around about PHP being uh, very easily broken. There's a lot of flaws in that. You know, there are... Uh, tools out there, um, Adobe Flash is mm -hmm. another one that there's just tons and tons of vulnerabilities for. Okay. Um, but in general, it's you know it's kind of really depends on your use case when okay. you're picking any language or you're picking a, an IDE or you know how you're structuring it. This is really fascinating. Um, tell me a little bit about how um, you, you were talking about people hiring you to do uh, penetration. So they, they, they have a, a software or a website or something, and you they're hiring you to, to what, access the, the vulnerabilities and try and hack it or... Yeah, and, uh, and, and there's, there's some um, difference in verbiage, too, when you're talking about penetration tests or vulnerability assessments or risk assessments and that. Um, a lot of people throw those terms around uh, a lot, and they, they, they mean one, but they say the other one. Okay. Uh, a penetration test is generally, you know, come try to find a way in. So I'm going to stand you in front, of the st in front of my house on the street, and I want you to find a way into my house. Uh, and, you know, come in, do something, and then, you know, come out and show me that you did that. And, um, you know, at its purest form, I'll, I'll usually refer, it, or refer to it as, you know, I can, I can come in, I find a window that's open. Okay. And I break into your house, and I take uh, a picture off of your dresser, and I come back out and say, hey, Jim, I got a picture off your dresser. That means I can get into your house. You're not secure. Um, unfortunately, you know, you could have had no doors, you know, the whole door missing, all the rest <laughs> of the windows were gone, mm -hmm. and there's a whole wall, one wall of your house is missing. And I could have walked in any of those other ways. A pen test might not be uh, broad enough to show you all these other uh, aspects of uh, vulnerability and, and, you know, some way a threat could get in. Uh, it just finds the one or finds a few uh, and really tries to push those as far as they go. We, so you look at more of a comprehensive thing, you know, yeah. it's not just yeah. the windows open. It's like you're missing a wall here and you don't have any doors on the house. Yeah, and I, I don't mind doing the penetration test side of things, uh, but I find for my clients, especially when they pay me money, they want a little bit more holistic view of, uh, what I need to do. And I might not go through in those cases and say, hey, I can come in and get your picture frame, but I'm going to go check the window. Okay, this window's open. Um, you know, hey, you're missing the door on the on the door here, and this whole left side wall's gone. And I'm, you know, probably going to be walking around with you in the house and pointing these things out and documenting them so that instead of just going and fixing that one window and thinking, hey, I'm good, 
then you're going to go look at all the rest of the things and think, hey, man, I should put a door here. Or I should build that wall into my house so that people just can't walk in and steal all my fine china. Um, but generally when, when I do go in, I'm looking for uh, those kind of flaws. I do want to try to connect them. So I look at them from a risk standpoint uh, and say, hey, you know, you're missing this. Uh, and there's a lot of guidance out there that we can use in certain cases. Um, there's compliance uh, frameworks, which they're not truly security, but they're a good way to get people started thinking about security. And usually they have some sort of risk management requirement in there, which is really what security is all about. It's about identifying the risk and putting controls in place to manage it that's reasonable with what your organization can tolerate. Um, so as a financial guy, you're probably very familiar uh, with the risk. Usually I find camaraderie talking to accountants or CFOs when I come into a company more so than talking to the IT person uh, because they understand when I'm talking about balancing the risk, not just going out and buying every whiz bang system, but looking at the, the threat, the vulnerability, and finding where they want to be on that slider of risk and then buying an appropriate system or implementing an appropriate procedure uh, to to meet that and bring that slider back down to where they're comfortable with it. Yeah, and the financial services, we always talk about the risk-risk. Um, and, and risk-risk is, I did not know this could happen. You, know, I did, <laughs> so you I, don't know what you I, don't know. I did yeah. not know this could happen. And so one of the things that I, I usually look at from a financial perspective, and tell me if it's the same from a cybersecurity perspective, is, is I'll look at the risk from a perspective is first, can we identify it? Okay. And then if we have the identification of the risk, you know, to go in and identify it. And then the next step is to measure it. And then I got it identified, I can measure it. And then the last part is how do we mitigate it? Mm -hmm. So the first thing, if you can't identify it, if you don't know that you're missing a door or, you know, a wall and you know that you might have a window open, but you didn't realize that there were no doors or no walls on it. Um, that is that risk risk that we get into. And, and most people don't even know how to identify uh, the potential risks that they have. Yeah, it's, it's very similar when I'm working, especially with small businesses. Uh, they will look at things uh, from a different you know, perspective. They're the business owner, so they're good at doing what the business does. Uh, and they don't really look at it from a risk aspect. They don't really, they don't know what they don't know, the, the, the Rumsfeld phrase. Uh, but that's where when I come in, it's to help them identify these things. And a lot of times I get, well, we didn't think about that that way. Um, and so it's, it's you know, fairly easy for someone like me to come in and identify the cyber threats uh, because I've been doing this for a long time. I mean, I when I was working for MITRE, I went from, uh, company to company to agency to bureau and you know I did hundreds of these things so I got a lot of experience looking at this in different uh, different scenarios different physical locations different business types uh, different even groups of people working on it um, the uh, measuring side is a little harder in security though um, we've got you know the whole qualitative versus quantitative measuring yeah uh, the quantitative measuring is fairly difficult for us uh, it's and it, it also has some communication baggage that goes along with it if we come up with some kind of number to say this is the you know your risk is 10 million dollars how is realistic is that is that risk? And that's the hardest part for us. And even when we're looking at trying to quantify risk just from a 
security standpoint, uh, we still find that some of our uh, measurement uh, apparatuses don't really measure it like we want to. We've got things like common vulnerability scoring system. Uh, that works great for some things, but it doesn't work great for all things. So we really have to take that into consideration. And because of this, we generally focus on a, uh, a qualitative, you know, a, a high, moderate, uh, low, critical kind of uh, risk measurement to say, you know, we're going to give you sort of a, a window of where it is rather than trying to say, you know, 9.2 or something like that or $10 million. Well, when you start, you know, looking at somebody who's going to build a project or going through a technology or they're hiring developers or they're hiring a dev team and you're going to give some advice to a uh, business owner, whether they're small, medium, big, large, whatever, before they spend a lot of money, how do you vet that company or that person or those developers from a security standpoint, would you have a company like yours come in and do it, or would you? Uh, are there key, you know, one or two key things that you can ask that help people understand? Yeah, so that's that's one of those areas that's not, you know, it's not really where my company works. Mm-hmm. Uh, more of what we focus on is with the smaller businesses that uh, have infrastructure, they have sensitive records to protect. Um, looking at some. Uh, kind of the development side from a product that's already been developed uh, and looking at that. But there are companies out there that can help uh, in that uh, structure area and how do you set up a development team, how do you set up the rules in which they code by, um, the processes and how they do uh, how they do things. Um, but you know, just generally from, from my side of the table, uh, I'm going to look for um, that a company to have something set up that says here's the standards that we use to code and those standards should reference something uh, out of the generally accepted uh, industry best practices OWASP open web application security project is a great one uh, mm-hmm. they've got a lot of tell me uh, what OWASP OWASP open web application security project okay OWASP.org and that they'll they'll go through and and kind of vet you know, my... Actually, they're more of an industry reference. Um, so, yeah, that would be if, if I was going to come in and, and look at a company and say, uh, are you setting up your development process correctly? And they handed me a stack of papers as here's how we do things. If I didn't see OWASP in there somewhere, I would start to question that because they're the, the de facto source of any kind of application, web application development guidance. Well, tell me about the, the companies that you like to work for um, and what's your sweet spot. Who do you, what, tell me about your, your profile that you typically like to work for. Okay. Um, I usually look at companies on the smaller side, and that's really where I focus because there's a vacuum in that area. Now, when you say smaller... You know, that's that's a I, I call it's that a relative. fat word. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, very uh, relative. Because uh, uh, you know, a small business administration considers a small business anything under five hundred employees. Mm-hmm. So when you say small, help help me define that a little bit better. So generally, my sweet spot is twenty to a hundred employees. Okay, I'm not looking at money, um, other than you know, can they afford to. <laughs> to pay, to pay. That's, that's, that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but generally, I'm looking at number of employees. Industries that I focus on are uh, first 
ones that have some sort of compliance requirements. So they have a need to secure their information uh, through a industry requirement like PCI uh, or a government requirement like HIPAA or uh, DFARS, um, NIST, uh, is a defense contractor one that's just kind of fallen upon us in the last six months or so. Um, so that I uh, generally working with um, health insurance, medical provider type people, um, and then uh, defense contractors, so a lot of manufacturers here in Arkansas uh, in that area. Um, another area I work with is people who just maintain a lot of sensitive information that they need to protect, like lawyers or accountants. Okay. Uh, and then I have some cats and dogs, people who just have had, uh, they've been attacked before and they're they're nervous about it and they want to uh, Im- improve the security within their company. So you're doing primarily smaller, but you're not doing anything with uh, the banking sector. Any banks, or, or you do? I haven't focused on the banking sector just because there are other people out there. My goal was to support people that didn't have anyone else. Got it. Got it. That's wise. And and you probably got tired of doing all the banking industry when you were, <laughs> when you were doing that with FIS. Yeah, you think I would have got tired of the defense contractors too, but. It's a different breed. They're uh, they're they're not the same defense contractors I used to work with. They're the guys uh, working with their hands, making small parts for airplanes and things like that. Yeah. Now a lot of times, you know, government is, uh, you know, I always think of government and technology. Uh, you know, I, I I see it as antiquated, older, um, and and very very vulnerable. Can you confirm that or deny that? <laughs> Um, uh, the black helicopters might come get me after Mm -hmm. this. Um, in some cases, yes. In other cases, no. Um, there are some areas of the government that lag behind. Uh, there are some areas of the government that are pretty much on par with, uh, with civilian commercial, uh, entities. Um, a lot of the guidance that we get to, uh, for security, a lot of the industry respected guidance is put out by the U.S. government. Uh, and in general, that's because they've partnered with, uh, organizations like the MITRE Corporation, where I used to work, uh, and they bring in people with, uh, as we stay, say, the 50-pound heads, mm-hmm. uh, the real smart guys to yeah. come in uh, and look at this sort of thing. Okay. And uh, tell me this. If there was one question that you wished, you know, uh, you were asked by some of the people that, that hire you before they hire you, what would be that one question that they you wish people would ask you? Oh, Ooh, that's a good one. <laughs> Probably it, it, less of a question and just more of an attitude that they would come in with. I wish they would come to me uh, with the attitude, you know, very open attitude saying, what do we need to do to fix the problem? Well, why do you think people, you know, when, when they're looking to hire you, why do you think they're guarded and not have an open attitude? Uh Mostly, I think, because they believe it's going to be very expensive and it's going to be difficult, if not impossible, to do the work. Okay. And when they feel expensive, what, what is expensive to them? Oh, that depends on the company. In some places, I've, I've had several clients come back and say, you know, we thought you were going to cost a lot more. And then I've had some, some prospects that have turned me down because, you know, a couple hundred, couple thousand dollars is way too much for them. They just... You know, they don't budget. They don't want to spend anything on that. And that's yeah. usually the ones that they don't spend a lot on those services within their business other than their core business. So you see them 
uh, trying to uh, skimp by on HR, skimp by on accounting, and you can kind of pick those out. Yeah, but those are the ones that are most probably most vulnerable. Oh yeah, I've I've gone into some prospects and looked at some things to talk about uh, helping them secure things, and it's you know basically a rat's nest when you're looking at how they manage. So, what uh, do you think people should understand about? Uh, risk management in regards to cybersecurity. What do you think that, you know, if you could convey to the rest of the population what they really need to... The biggest thing, I, I would say it's not an all or none game. It's not on or off. It's not binary. That it's a, it's a big slider and you find where you're comfortable with risk and you work to put your risk level there. That's the biggest thing that trying to get across to businesses um, that I think is the most important. Also, I would say that for a lot of companies, don't just throw this over the fence to IT. This isn't an IT thing. This is a risk thing. Yeah, that's that's a challenge. A lot of people say, you know, oh, my IT guy, he's a genius, he's brilliant, he's got us all taken care of, and that, that a lot of times is a false assumption. Yeah, the, your IT guy is there to make sure your systems are up and working and you can log in and do that kind of stuff. Uh, your risk management or information security or cybersecurity support or person uh, is there to make sure that your information is protected. So even more so than just on your IT systems, you're thinking about, you know, how do you manage people? How do you, uh, how do you allow people to use technology and information? Uh, we talk about, you know, how your IT guy has no purview over all of those sensitive files you have in a file cabinet somewhere. Mm-hmm. But your risk management person would have to think about that because if somebody broke into your building and stole stacks of files, then you're just as hurt as if they broke into your computer and stole those same files. Well, Chris, thanks so much. I, sure. I really appreciate you getting in and sharing a little bit about cybersecurity. Uh, there's so much to know about this, and uh, there's so many people who who really need it now and are very curious mm-hmm. about it, and, and there's always a news article every week about some sort of a data breach somewhere. Yep. Yeah. It's a, there's a, you're absolutely right. It's a broad and deep field and nobody knows everything about it, but, um, uh, just try to learn more every time, every time I get the chance. Well, I'd like to thank you for uh, coming in today and, uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, uh, talk again soon. Mm-hmm.